There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. G'day, this is Warren Buffett and we're talking about shares. <laughs> Everyone wants to buy shares. Don't Everyone, you mean Jimmy? Don't interrupt my intro, Vince. <laughs> We're talking about shares this podcast, and um, let's have a crack at this. So this podcast, you've wanted an episode about shares, investing, ETFs, all that stuff. Uh, you've wanted that for some time. We're going to get into that. Uh, as I was rudely interrupted at the start, we've got Vince Scully from Life Welcome, Show Vince. with us. I'm a bit more Jimmy Buffett than Warren Buffett. That's right. Who's Jimmy Buffett? Google it. No. <laughs> Probably won't. Uh, welcome, John. Welcome. So I'm going to go and get a coffee. Once you've done That's talking right. about shares, I'll come back in and yeah. uh, finish off. John's a property boy, so <laughs> we might all learn something here. Um, My Millennial Money Express, uh, if it's not launched by now, it's about to be by the time you're listening to this. Uh, so jump on, subscribe to that. That's a short form podcast without the banter crap and the vibes. Um, and it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, some inspiration in relation to your your money, your life, your career. Uh, Still some humour in there. A little bit of humour, you know. I, it's more of a monologue for me to be hilarious to myself. So, yeah. Um, and our Facebook group, it's growing. It's almost at a thousand people. It's nuts, isn't it? It is nuts. It's so cool. So it's good, and it's a cool community in there. So yeah. if you are, if you've been a listener for a while and you're not in there yet, jump in um, and throw a question up, and the group will try and answer. Now how do we join? Uh, you go to Facebook. And oh, just... that Mark Zuckerberg thing. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, you might have heard of it. <laughs> yeah, my son told me about it. Yes. <laughs> and uh, thank you to Glee Coffee Roasters for sponsoring the show. Uh, they're giving away 15% to any listeners uh, in the way of a discount off any coffee orders online. So you can go to gleecoffee.com.au forward slash, no, there's no forward slash, um, and you can put in the promo code M3 for 15% off your delicious coffee. You're listening to My Millennial Money. This podcast is a lot like a trip to Bunnings on a Saturday. You go in looking for something, and all you walk out with is a sausage in your hands. <laughs> Vince, yes. you're, you're not here for a, a good time. You're here for a long time or whatever the saying is. <laughs> a good but time. A good time. What is a share? If someone... Let's get back to basics today. What is a share? A share is just a small part of a company. Sure. So, it, just like a um, a box of chocolates is broken up into individual chocolates, well, shares are the chocolates. Sure. And, and as um, Mr. Gump says, you just never know what you're going to get. That's right. But, uh, but it's a small part of a company, so if you're not happy to buy that company, you shouldn't be happy to buy a share. Yes. Now, I think Warren Buffett actually said that before me. Oh, really? Wow. And I, I guess, for example... Um, 
a share it is uh, part of a company, as you said, yep. by nature. Now, Bill's plumbing down the road, he might have a, a company that he owns himself. Yep. That company has shares exactly. that he probably owns. The, dis- the difference with the shares that we're talking about today, it's a bigger company that thousands and thousands of people in the general public and investors own parts of that company. Um, That's right. So, so you own your own little, if you buy a Westpac share, you own your little bit of Westpac. Mm. So I guess we just want a bit of a deep dive into shares um, and let's just start the journey. But I will say, you know how like um, Jeff Bezos, mm-hmm. he's like the richest guy in the world at the moment. Um, well, he will be until his divorce gets through. Exactly. Um, and then his wife's the richest it's female, female yeah. isn't she? Yeah, and she's single. <laughs> <laughs> Look out, Mrs. Bezo. <laughs> um, no, in all seriousness, people think, oh, like, what, is this guy's money just sitting in the bank? But most of his net worth is because he owns probably thousands of shares. Does he own like 13% of Amazon or something like that? So if Amazon went bankrupt overnight, his wealth would go. So all these richest people in the world, a lot of their wealth <laughs> is tied up in companies that they started and still own a big chunk of. So, Vince, where do I buy shares from? Well, to buy shares, you will generally need to find yourself a stockbroker. Yes, but before that, conceptually, who owns it before I purchase it? Well, if we're talking about buying shares on the stock market, the yes. stuff you hear reported every night on the news, yes, um, you're buying them from somebody else who owns them today. Yes. Uh, sometimes companies issue new shares, in which case you that's called a float or an IPO, and you buy them directly from the company in that context. Yes. But usually you need a middleman to sit between you and the vendor because we- you don't know who's selling today. Yes. So you'll need to find a stockbroker. Uh, that's something like E-Trade or Comsec. Or Concept, yep. And they um, have access to the stock exchange and they can place an order into the stock exchange system. And if the price matches someone who's selling, you get them and the bingo, vendor sells bango. them. Bingo, There's your shares. And three days later, um, ownership actually changes hands. So in the financial world, for shares, we call it T plus three. Hmm. So it's time plus three days. So if, John, if you own $5,000 worth of CVA shares and you want to sell them tomorrow, you get the money in T plus three business days. That's right. Now, what is a dividend? A dividend is a share in the profits of a company. Sure. So for every every profit, so when the company makes a profit, it can decide how much of that it wants to keep to reinvest. So if it's Woolworths, they might build some new stores um, or they'll hand it out to the invest, investors. And everyone who holds a share gets the same proportion of those profits. Sure. So I guess in simple terms... A share price, so if a share, if one share costs $15, you might make uh, $5 a year in dividends, mm-hmm. which would be a bloody big dividend. Mm-hmm. Um, and just as a, because I think it's important to illustrate at a really basic level the parallels. So it would be very similar to if you purchased an investment property for $500,000 and you got 30 grand a year rent, there's a difference between the tenant paying rent and the actual price of that asset. Mm-hmm. So that's just a little bit of housekeeping on how shares work. That's right. So you're 
profit from holding shares comes from two places. One, the dividends you get usually every six months and a depreciation in the price of the share, which usually comes from the underlying company making a bigger profit. So the sure. more profit it makes, the bigger dividends it pays generally, and therefore the higher its share price. When I was working before I started my business oh, probably 10 years ago, we used to joke in the office to say that Telstra was Australia's um, the most high-risk bank account <laughs> because their dividends were quite high. So you jokingly say, I'll oh, just park 100 grand in Telstra for a couple of years and you might get a, a 15% return as opposed to having the $100,000 in the bank mm-hmm. getting 6% interest at the time. So, for example, a, a company like um, a resource company who's exploring the earth and trying to crack a mine, they may say, we're not paying any dividends, any profit. As Vince said, we're investing back into the company. But a, a mature company um, or... Uh, say a bank, for example, they will, you know, have a higher dividend and share the profit with their investors. So, with Comsec and E-Trade, I've used those as kind of examples. So, basically, if you wanted to buy some shares, and we'll get into some of the examples uh, a little bit later on, um, you could register an account with Comsec or E-Trade and you essentially open a bank account with them. It's the same type of ID process. And then you can log into their system and I'll pick on CBA. You could go, I want to buy CBA shares. So if they're, how much are CBA shares at the moment? 50, 70 something. 75 or something. So you could go, I want to buy, if I've got, I've just got my calculator, $2,000 divided by say, we'll just go 75 is 26 and a half. So you would open your E-Trade account or Comsec and you would say, I want to buy 26 CBA shares. And they will say, yes, we will place that trade for you. And then they will take that $2,000 out of your bank account and charge you probably a $20 brokerage fee. Now, the thing that you need to know uh, with shares is they need a, each share has an issuer number. Okay. So if you've got a share in CBA, Telstra, um, ANZ, Woolworths, you'll get your dividend statement. And I'm going somewhere with this, John. <laughs> I can see John glazing over. <laughs> yeah. So there's a what they call a HIN, which is a holder identification number. Now, Comsec or E-Trade, so Comsec's Commonwealth Bank, E-Trade's ANZ, they're both big kind of household name brokers. They're what they're called a chess sponsor, which is the clearinghouse electronic sub register system. Now, that's basically saying if I buy all my shares through E-Trade or Comsec, it will have the same HIN number, holder identification number on each share. So, it's all in the one shop. If NRMA call me tomorrow, like they did, you know, 15, 20 years ago and said, we're we're listing the company, we're issuing shares, we're handing out IAG shares, for example, your number will start with an I because it's issuer sponsored. And if you had five issuer-sponsored shares, each share statement would have a different code. So, if you are going to go on a share journey, make sure you register with a chess sponsor, which is your Comsec or E-Trade. So, that's just really important as a... It is. So, if you go back to before chess came along in the 90s, 80s? Not 90s, that old. 90s, I think. None um, of our listeners were around. No. 
But in those days... Which it doesn't matter, but keep going. You got a physical piece of paper (laughs) called a share certificate. Yeah. And it had your name on it. Yeah. And the number of shares you held. And when you wanted to sell, you had to take that share certificate to your stockbroker. Yes. And he would then go and sell it and you'd get a a check for the cash. Usually your stockbroker would keep these in a filing cabinet somewhere. Wow. And then they came and... Fireproofed. Fireproof, yeah. Yeah. Um, What's the... You live at Cremorne, yeah. that would be near Military Road. Yes. Are you the wolf of Military Road? That's better than the wolf of Wall Street, I suppose. Yeah. So I guess I, I just – are you confident, Johnny, in that way I've explained it conceptually what yep. a share if is? If I was new, then I would understand that. Yeah. I think the important point is that your HIN is the thing that identifies you to the stock exchange. Yes. And you have one for each stockbroker yep. you deal with. Yeah. So basically – you would, and generally, you would only really have one broker because you can only have one chess sponsor at a time. No, you can have multiple. You could have multiple. You never brokers. used to be able share. to have yeah. multiple uh, yeah, multiple you, chess sponsors. You can because when I was back trading shares, um, you have a different hin though. Yes, and that starts causing administrative yeah, problems. Yeah, it's so just ideally, a nightmare. Yeah. You want to keep with one broker. Yeah. yeah, and really, there's not a lot of difference between the four big ones. No, so uh, you, you're usually going to get un- a five grand trade for under. For under twenty dollars a trade. Yeah. Um, now, what I will say is, um, when you buy an individual stock, so if I went and did my example of I purchased twenty six CBA shares and it cost me two thousand dollars each six months, they would send me a check in the mail, which would be the dividend if it was thirteen dollars or whatever it was, or I've got the option to reinvest that dividend. So automatically. Um, that dividend $13 or we'll just call it the dividend $70, it would purchase one additional share. So With some leftover. With some leftover. So if you are building wealth and you do not need the money, you would reinvest the dividends. Now, if I've had clients that are in their 60s and have a huge share portfolio, but because they're retired, they do not reinvest the dividends. They just get a check, a uh, handful of checks every six months and they live off the income yeah um reinvesting your dividends is an interesting one it does keep it out of your uh, dirty mitts out of your temptation to spend it but it can create a lot of administrative hassle so yes. if you hold your example of holding bhp for 20 or 30 years you end up with you know, 60 or 70 parcels of shares which will cause your accountant to have the heebie-jeebies when you actually sell them. Yes. So Because, and you haven't heard this as at today, Vince, but the episode that was released um, with Asher, we talked about what a cost base was. So if you, went, if you went to sell your shares 20 years later, you would have, as you said, a heap of different transactions. You've got multiple cost bases, mm. which is just a nightmare to deal with. Um, so, sorry, did you want to add anything else? Uh, no, other than that, Previously, you used to get a discount for participating in the um, reinvestment plan, which made it quite beneficial. But these discounts are not as big as they used to be. Uh, It does save you on brokerage. So those extra two or three shares, you don't have to pay ComSec another $10 to buy them. Yeah. So, yeah, take your pick. Yeah. So generally, you know, I'm not a big believer in I don't own any direct shares. So if people in the financial planning world say direct shares, we generally mean that you own a specific an amount of shares in a listed company on the Australian uh, Securities Exchange or the ASX, okay? Now, 
my own house view in my financial planning practice is we do not do direct shares. We do what they call managed funds. Okay. So can you explain what a managed fund is, Vince? Well, now that we worked out what a share is um, and we need to look at the – if you're buying a single share, yes. you've obviously got to fit your – all of your money is tied up in one company. Yes. And that can be a bit risky. So usually what you'd like to do is spread your investment over a number of shares. So you might buy a bank and you might buy an industrial company and a resource company. Um, but if you're trying to invest $5,000, your brokerage starts getting expensive if you try and split it five ways. So Comsec, for example, charge you $10 for a, a trade less than $1,000. So if you're going to buy $500 of shares, which is about the minimum, yeah, yeah, $10 is a big proportion of your $500. Yeah. So what we want to be able to do is buy a basket of shares, um, you know, maybe 20, 100, 200 shares, which spreads your risk. Um, and uh, that basket is a managed fund or a, an investment company or a exchange traded fund. There's a number of different baskets yeah, you can so buy. I, so I guess the question is, if I had $10,000 to invest, do I want to invest in one company? Do I want all my eggs in one basket? Do I just want to buy CBA shares, which means I've got the roller coaster of CBA? Hmm. Or would I rather invest over 200 companies and have a small amount in each one? You generally want to spread it. Yeah. Um, I mean, most people overestimate the risk of buying shares and underestimate the risk of not buying shares. Yeah, yeah. And that's because people think about a single company. But if you take a basket of two hundred, the top 200 shares in Australia, for example, um, that's actually got a lower risk than an individual property, whereas most people's instinct is that shares are risky. Yeah. Um, so if I'm, if I'm a first-time investor out there listening and I've got my $1,000, I want to make a make a start. You, you're saying a managed fund is is probably a more sensible way to go of some form. Yeah, yeah. there's still a lot of that still leaves quite a bit of choice. Yeah, um, but and for a thousand dollars, I'd be starting with one of the micro investment platforms, which is like, like, a, like raise. A raise. Yeah. yeah. So actually, if you're a member of the Facebook group, just look in the photo section, and you'll see a logo of Raise. If you click that, there's actually an interview that we did with the CEO of Raise which wasn't good enough quality to put up on the podcast because we had some uh, ooh, internet issues. Um, it's funny how I said internet issues then and <laughs> the thing starts buzzing. Um, so, yeah. So, again, companies like Raze and I think Spaceship have their investment yeah. thing. And, it's, and I can tell you within the next five years, there'll be so many more little micro-investing apps, which means you can invest in shares with starting with $5. Yeah. Um, and it is a very cheap low-impact way of getting started. So with Raise, for example, and I've got no vested interest one way or the other, um, you can have it invest you know, $100 and it'll cost you $1.25 a month. Yeah. So if you're investing less than five to $10,000, it's a really good way to get started. Yeah, yeah. Cost-effective, isn't it? Yeah. I think the biggest thing for most people I speak to about shares is they just can't get their head around the un- un- or understand what it is they're buying or why they're buying. They just have a, um, an amount of money and mm. say, well, I want to go and do something, but it's just a, a wide world out there that yeah. I can't get my head around. Yeah, uh, if I want to buy shares, do I buy BHP or do I buy CBA yeah. or do I buy Westpac? Yeah. Um, that's a really hard decision to make, and that's why starting with a, 
a basket that's been created by somebody else is probably mm. a really good way to start. Yeah, you're, you're and, taking the hassle out of it. And I will say, like, you hear all the stories of, um, well, I hear it, like, with some clients, like, oh, my my brother, so this is a, like a 60-year-old client, oh, my brother lost all his money during the global financial mm. crisis. And I'm like, well, let's just unpack that. So, if I purchased one CBA share 10 years ago for $85, okay, the next day that could be worth $86, the next day it could be $84, the global financial crisis happened, that share could be worth $40 overnight, but I still own that share. The people that done their ass were the ones that sold mm. when the ass fell out of the market and they sold out of fear yes. and an uneducated type of... Uh, I tell some of my clients, my job is to talk you off the cliff mm. if there's a correction in the market. Yeah. Like, don't jump. That's right. Now, if they would have held on to the money, they would have had the biggest bounce back in the history mm. of the world. So, that's kind of... When you hear the gross statements of you don't make money with shares... That's right. And the data shows that over any long period, like 10, 20 years, Aussie shares perform about the same as Aussie real estate. Yeah. Yeah, it's been around 7%, hasn't it, for yep. 100 years? And yeah. It's just people buy and sell at the wrong time or get yep. too emotional and transact too often. And as a rule of thumb, I would say, and actually Vince and I were talking about this in the car on the way back from lunch, I personally say if you need the money within four years... I would not worry about investing in shares at all. So you'd want at least four to five years to have the money going through market cycles and working yeah, its way. Time, time is your friend. Yeah, uh, and it's I guess all about like, strategy. Yeah. What's your strategy with your career? Are you volunteering at an organisation that you like for you know, a day a week at no cost because the strategy is to work in that field? What's your strategy with your uh, property? Is it to buy a little shack, live in it for a bit, then turn it into an investment property, or is it to buy a new? Or shares, what's your strategy? I would say in my 20s when I purchased shares, I didn't have a strategy and it was a waste of time because I've sold them all now mm. because I was just buying because I wanted to buy shares. Yeah. No strategy. I had, I've got an E-Trade account, then I changed to ComSeg and then E-Trade and you know, buying shares in bloody this company that did... Uh, they were waiting on a government approval because they were doing something with like swine injections or something. And, <laughs> you know, and I got caught up in the hype. But yeah, I mean, the, the key to all of this really is just get started. Yeah. So get invested, stay invested. And when you can, invest some more. That's a much more important issue than whether you buy CBA or Westpac. Absolutely. Or whether you buy property or shares. Yeah. It's get started. Don't wait till you get that pay rise. Don't start. Wait till. Yeah. But. I will say, and I've, I said this on the Raise episode that's on the in the Facebook group, apps like Raise, and we've got no affiliation with Raise. Um, it's just an example. Um, that the sixteen-year-old Glenn, I would die to have an app like Raise that I could start investing. But because the cost to entry was so high when I was that age, it was. So you're right. Get started. But I would also say, like anything. Always have a purpose. Hmm. When I was investing in my shares, I was I was just doing it for whatever reason, and then yeah. something came up, or oh, I want a six hundred dollars subwoofer for the car, <laughs> and I sell the share. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, so I think it's very important if you are under thirty and you do want to invest in shares. Um, 
What about you go, I'm opening a, a share account and that will be my home deposit That's savings right. account for the next five to six years because there is, and you know, everyone wants to buy their own home, but I can guarantee you most first home buyers, and this is a broad statement, are over 30 years old as a, unless <laughs> you've got a cracking really cracking income or you're in a town that I know I'm going off topic on a tangent, but as a broad brushstroke, even if you set up a little share account, you did it with a friend, you know, both had your own to have a goal. We're not withdrawing this money unless it's for a home deposit because then it's out of sight, out of mind. That's right. What I always say is that a portfolio is not a plan and outperforming the market's not a goal. What, what matters is what am I going to use this money for and when and how would I change that plan if the market didn't go how I think it's going to go? So if you're saving for your your kids' school fees, they can't change the year they start in year seven no. just because the market doesn't no. do well. So Sorry, for that you sort have of to goal, start home yeah, for another year. You're having a gap year. I know year six has <laughs> been tough. <laughs> so that's a, that's a goal that has a hard dead end. So your only plan B is, well, you have to wait till... Stay public till year yeah. nine. Yeah. Um, whereas if your goal is to buy a, a unit or an investment property, well, maybe you could just delay that goal by a year. So time frame and goal are both the critical elements there. And until you know that answer, it's very difficult to say, well, what should I invest in? Let's do an example. I've got $1,500 that I'm going to add into my portfolio every year. Which and I started with five thousand dollars, fifteen hundred divided by five thousand. That's thirty percent. Hmm. You will get a higher return on your money from the money that you're putting in and sacrificing than selling shares and trading and looking for the best rate of return. Hmm. Keeping so, the emotion out of it, isn't it? Yeah. I, I find when I've got individual shares, I'm checking them every two or three days, and the, yeah, it's uh, yeah the managed fund or just that concept of regularly putting money in as a out of sight, out of mind. Absolutely. Now, let's talk about um, broader strategy with shares. Vince, do you own direct shares yourself? I have a handful. Sure. But generally, I'm invested in managed funds. Sure. Yeah. John? Uh, yes, both. Okay. Yep. Sweet. I do not have any direct shares myself. I only use managed funds uh, and a, a bit of a blend with index investing. Um, and I've got an an Australian ethical investment fund, which is, I think, an actively managed fund. Now, Vince, we've we've covered off that a managed fund is a company like, you know, Vince Scully Investments. You wish. And you put... It's a publicly th- listed, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. So <laughs> It's under VGS. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so the three of us put $3,000 each into Vince Scully Investments. So there's now a collective group of, say nine grand or call it 10 grand and then Vince Scully Investments, you go and buy the shares and do all the research. So that's generally what the managed fund is. But can you explain the difference between active managed funds and indexed funds? Well, they're really just different ways of selecting the basket of shares that you're going to invest in. But I think the bigger question, because I get asked this question a lot and most people go, well, they've read a bit on the internet and they said, well, which index fund should I buy? And really it comes back to, well, what's your goal? Yeah. Um, and to get there, we sort of probably want to ask, well, what is an index? Yeah. 
And an index is really just a way of answering the question, did the market go up or down today? Yeah. Right. Everyone's always wondered, um, you know, what the, how did it go on the market today? Even if, even in Shakespeare's day and you know, the Merchant of Venice, Solanio says, how now, Sherlock, what news among the, rail, the merchants? So we've asked this question like forever. And an index is just a way of saying that. So when you look at the market, um, you know, usually red for falls and green for gains. Yep. So you could go, well, let's just squint at this board and say, is it mostly green or mostly red? Yeah. Um, so it was mostly red. You concluded the market was down today. Yeah. Um, but obviously some shares are bigger than others. Yeah. So what people generally try to say, well, let's take the the 200 biggest shares, for example. Uh, that's a thing called the, in Australia, that's called the ASX 200. And that looks at the biggest 200 shares and say, well, as a group, did they go up or down today? And that's what an index is. And they can be... So, anything. okay, technically, I could build, I could get $100,000 and buy, with my eTrade or ComSec account, the top 200 shares and weight that money to the proportion of size that they are. You could. And I could build my own index fund. You could. Right. So, now, and then what happens is the index fund just is a mirror of what the index is called, because there's an index for bloody everything, isn't there? There is. There's, and- there's an ethical index. There's a green index. Um, so an index is really just a measure of whether the market goes up or down, and each of those indexes behaves differently. So the big ones that you hear on the TV every night, you've got the Dow Jones, which is just 30 shares um, listed in the US. Uh, they're the big names like McDonald's, Microsoft, Nike, um, and... They're just a hand-picked number. Um, you hear about the S&P 500, which is the 500 biggest US shares, or the ASX 200, 200 of the biggest Australian shares. And they all behave differently because they contain different things. Yes. So in Australia, um, you know, about a third of the top 200 shares is financials. So if you're saying, I want to buy the ASX 200, you're taking a pretty strong bet on the banks, banks and BHP. Which may or may not be the right thing, which is why answering this question about, well, should I buy index or should I buy active? And if I buy index, which index? Sure. Now, conversely, an active, so Vince Scully Investments, we've all put in, you know, we'll just call it 10 grand between the three of us. Vince Scully Investments Company thinks that he can choose different investments and beat the ASX 200 because you're actively managing that money that's right and obviously that comes at a cost so and we've got to pay you for your expertise that's right because fund managers are very expensive people they have kids at very expensive schools <laughs> they drive expensive cars and they cost a lot of money yeah um and only about a third of them will actually beat the the index the market as a whole is that right um in the u.s it's it's lower um it's about a quarter but in australia it's about a third and that's really based on the theory that um Markets are efficient, and therefore all the information that's known about a share is known by everybody, so the price is what the price is. Um, so in order to do better than the market, you must know something that the market doesn't know. Yes. Now, that's convenient shorthand, which is true most of the time. Is that so like backing a horse that uh, you know the jockey or the trainer? That's or, right. Yeah. Now, that's illegal when it comes to shares. <laughs> 
don't know if it's illegal when it comes to horses. However, I would say if if you're buying your own direct shares or Vince Scully investments and you're the specialist fund manager and you're looking at um, – so, for example, you're looking at a company and I'll use CBA again because it's top of mind and there's this change in CEO of um, CBA – and you've done the research and, oh, they've got this guy from, I don't know, Singapore who used to manage a company, but 10 years ago, the company that he managed went bankrupt. You might go, based on the key person risk, I don't believe that it's worth investing in CBA. So, you would actively pull the money out of that, where the index fund would have money invested in CBA regardless of who's at the helm because it's literally an index. That's right. And as so that shorthand is it's mostly true most of the time. Yes. So as a guidepost, it's pretty useful. Yes. And what we've seen is that if only a third can outperform, how do you pick the ones that can? And not many of that third do it consistently year in, year out. Mm. So in general, um, particularly big fund managers as a group consistently underperform. Yeah. So for a small investor who can't afford the research time to work out which manager or which shares, you'll generally do better by buying a an indexed or passive fund. Yes. And that's because you save the manager's money. They generally trade less, so there's less tax yes. and there's less costs. Yes. So overall, particularly when it comes to big shares, um, so if you want to invest in the top 200 Australian shares, you're almost always going to be better off buying a passive fund. Now, right. that's not to say that all passive funds are identical. Um, but so if you look historically at, say, investing in the package of the ASX 200, what would you consider as a reasonable return? Um, I think historically over the last 10 or 20 years, they've probably done about 8 or 9% a year. Yeah, which is pretty good. Uh, which given that we've been through hell, know, one of the biggest yeah. falls in in history. Yeah. Um, and that and that's the, like the whole thing that goes to strategy. The only reason people freak out with shares is because every day there's a price to that. Yeah. Now, if yeah. you got a valuer out at my house every single day, yeah. you could chart it. It would probably be a, a swarmy <laughs> sea of... Well, have you ever asked, a, ever asked a real estate agent what a house will sell for? Yeah. And that's that, the difference in property, isn't yeah. it? The, the share all, price is a share price, whereas the property price is different I've got depending on whether you're a value or an agent. I've got a client at the moment who's got a house. Uh, I won't say where. It's an investment property they bought eight years ago. Uh, it's worth $90,000 less than what they paid for it. Okay. And they're 65 years, 65 years old and want to retire. What do we do? We've got a house with a and the interest only mortgage on it of, you know, almost 500,000. And so I just, anyone who says houses don't go down in value are ill informed. Yeah. I mean, my point wasn't that they might, they go down, it was more that you can't accurately say what the price is and therefore it feels like it moves less. You can ask an estate agent, what's that property going to sell for? They'll say, oh, in the low 700s. Yeah, yeah what does that mean? What does mean? that mean? It means between 700 and 740. Yeah. If you were to see that change in a share price, you go, oh, that's a bit volatile. Mm. But it also goes back to strategy for my client, the property investor. If they were 40 years old and didn't plan to sell the rental property, it actually doesn't matter because the market will recover at some point. <laughs> 
Mm. Um, and yeah, the real point being, though, that if you want to invest in something that's going to grow, there's really only two things you can invest in, and that's shares of property. Yeah. So yeah. The, there are overall five things you can invest in, shares, property, um, bonds, cash, and commodities. And only two of those can consistently beat inflation. Yes. So it's not property or shares. It's how much property and how much shares and mm. when. Yeah. Now, I guess an advantage with property as an investment, um, I think. So, I'll, I'll re, I'll back up the truck. I personally, given I'm quite a conservative personality, really? I, yeah. Didn't you know this? <laughs> I, <laughs> I I've learned something new today, Vince. Um, I personally wouldn't gear into equities. Now. What that means is borrow money to invest into equities or shares because my stomach probably couldn't handle it that I've got an asset that might go down in value and the drama that goes with that, okay? But property, it can be sometimes easier to get um, funds to gear or borrow into leverage is the word, mm -hmm. to get leverage Borrowing. into debt, borrowing. Yeah. Debt. It's easy to get debt to buy a house. Yeah than it is to buy a share portfolio. As long as you've got a big enough deposit. Exactly. Yeah, well, I think people see a little bit of comfort in the property investing in the sense that the, the tenant helps pay for the running costs of that property, whereas potentially buying a share, they haven't got a tenant to cover the costs. It's called a dividend. If they're, no, but if they're borrowing money for that, the dividend's not going to even come close to covering their repayments. Oh, well, the, average, should do. the average dividend is higher than the average rental yield. So, so, the, so the average dividend on a top 200 share is about 5%, which means if you've got a share that you paid $100 for, you should get about $5. It comes in two installments, so it doesn't seem yeah. quite as much. But So if you were to borrow half the purchase price, you would easily cover your, your debt. But it's it certainly far easier to borrow a bigger proportion so you, yeah. it's, it's not so it's need easy a 50% for a like, deposit yeah, yeah, to yeah. cover. Yeah. So I'll give you an example, um, and we will do an episode on investment bonds, mm. which is a tax structure essentially. Um, is it? Mm. Yeah. We've got different – we should get you <laughs> back for that one. <laughs> anyway, so in my investment bond, um, I've got a, a managed fund essentially that invests only in high-yielding Australian shares which is yield is another term for income or dividend. So, hmm. so what, and that goes back to strategy. Most people who are borrowing to invest in shares will invest in shares that have a high yield hmm. to help pay the debt back and then hopefully. Yes. So, yeah, again, everything goes back to strategy. That's right. Why are you doing this and what's your time frame and how much have you got to invest and how do you feel about it? Yes. And yeah, what's your risk profile? Exactly. Mm. Yeah. Um, but there is a lot of research that says that the when when people investment people talk about risk, they usually mean variability or uncertainty. So it's what is the likelihood of the share price being X within a year? How much does it move up and down? And the variability of the ASX two hundred is actually less than the variability of an individual property. Strange, but it's doesn't seem right. But that's what the maths actually works mm, out to be. It, but lots of people will feel more comfortable. With a property. With real work, because it doesn't, it's not on the news every night. Okay, question. It's just as a, like a philosophical thought. 
there's pretty much no risk in buying the ASX 200 index. Ooh, that's a bit cool. I'm not sure I'd say no. <laughs> but, um, what, like, but the question is, is the risk of not buying it greater than the risk of buying it? And most people overestimate the risk of owning shares and underestimate the risk of not owning them. Because if you're not owning them, your money's not beating inflation. I guess no, but the question, my question is, yeah. like, if the top 200 has yeah. companies like CBA, Westpac, uh, Woolworths, mm-hmm. I mean, if those companies disappear off the planet, there's bigger problems in Australia. There are, but the demise of a top 200 company is not that unusual. Not in this climate in the last 10, 20 years. So yeah, we go, the go, other... back to, go back to 2007. We yeah. lost Alco. We lost Babcock and Brown. We lost City Pacific. Yeah. We lost MFS. Uh, we lost uh, Childcare. What was it called? ABC. Um, ABC Childcare. Yeah. Um, but I'm talking about as an index. Yeah, as the other yeah. 199 would cover yeah, the, the other, one yeah. that's gone. Yeah. So, but the, you know, the index fell peaked in 2007 at 6,000 and what was it? 64 or something, wasn't it? 6, 7, I think. 6873 yeah. on the 31st of October 2007, consulting yeah. my notes. Yeah. Um, and it's still not back there. The Japan, the Nikkei index in Japan peaked in 1989 and still hasn't got back to where it was. So, I mean, the dividends will have more than made up for in the meantime. Yeah. But, yeah, it is a long-term play and over any long period, um, the return sort of tends to revert to a mean. Yeah. But you do need the ability to stay there, mm. which comes back to your point about um, yeah, money you need to spend tomorrow should be in cash. Yes. Yeah. And I will say, if you're actually wondering if you'll ever own shares, uh, if you're working, you own shares indirectly through your superannuation. So... A superannuation, so if you're with, let's name five superannuation funds, so... REST. REST. HESTA. HESTA, Australian Super, Host. Sun Super, Host Plus, A&P, MLC, whoever else. Mm-hmm. There's a, a lot of them. 139, All, I think. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, too many. Those super funds essentially are big, they call them unitized trusts. So it's like a big managed fund where... Everyone pulls their money in. And it's actually funny, and it's another side tangent, if the industry fund campaigns, they say we're the best funds in the world and blah, blah, blah. If their investments are that good, why wouldn't they offer them as an investment outside of super? And I think it's uh, liquidity purposes because they invest in a lot of unlisted things. And if someone wanted to sell down all their money... It would be hard to supply because not everyone's retiring tomorrow, so the liquidity is not a bigger, yeah, a big issue. Um, that's a very broad statement, but it's just I always think, oh, if your investment's that good, let me put my money <laughs> in a, in my own name, not in super. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, but you raise a very good point that we all, for most Australians, our second biggest asset mm. is our super, and for most people who've given this more than five minutes thought, seventy percent of that will be invested in growth assets which is mostly shares yes so you're in it um you need to uh, understand a little bit more hey i know i crap on all the time about getting our foundations in place but our personal protection plan is something you need to do today i know many of our listeners have got this set up but if you're one of them and haven't already go to sortyourmoneyout.com click get help 
and I'll put you in touch with someone who can guide you through. Generally, there's no cost to have an initial chat. And if you're young, fit and healthy, you need to get this stuff in place today. If you've got a family and you're not covered, hey, what if you freaking died? I'm not messing around. You need to get insured. Do it, do it now. And anyone that I refer you to will do it the same way that we teach and we talk about here. And that advice provider, wherever you are in Australia, are happy to have a complimentary discussion with you at no cost to see where you're at and see if they can help. So what have you got to lose? Have a chat today. Jump on to sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help. A, a really low cost way of investing. I'm talking low cost. Um, uh, so oh, I'll, I'll just back up the truck once more. The other reason back why the I truck up. back the truck up, the only reason I personally do not have individual stocks is because at tax time, it's a freaking debacle. It adds paperwork, which you're and probably going to have to pay your tax accountant to do. Yes. So for example- Especially if you trade. That's right. So if I had a managed fund, number one- Every year, I get one statement I give to the accountant. The fund manager that you pay your fee for, they do all the tax work behind the scenes. Um, there's things called a wrap account. Mm-hmm. So, if you had heaps of money, you can- So, if you had $500,000, you could go to your advisor, set up what they call a wrap account, and that account would buy all the shares and track the tax and keep all the records. You become your own fund manager. You become your own fund manager. So, having said all that, a really, really low-cost way of investing- if you want to do it in your own name, is what they call an ETF or an exchange-traded fund. Now, Vince, hello. Okay, so exchange-traded fund is one of these baskets we talked about. So, yes. there are effectively three ba- types of baskets you can buy. You can buy an, a managed fund, which is not listed on the stock exchange. You buy it from the manager, either by filling in the form on the uh, online or in the disclosure statement or through your advisor and um, you can buy and sell those every day. There's also then listed funds, which means they're traded on the stock exchange. So you buy them through Comsec. Yes. And they're either what's called a listed investment company, which is a, as the name suggests, it's a company. So it would be like our example of Vince Scully Investments yeah. being a public company yeah. and everyone can buy shares in Vince Scully Investments, yeah. price so limited. So Af- and Argo are probably the two oldest ones in Australia. Yeah. They've been around for decades. Yeah. And they buy shares. So you buy a share in them and they use that money to buy, to shares. buy shares. And that price moves up and down, which may or may not line up precisely with the value of the shares that they've bought. Yes. Because- yeah, if more people want to buy AFIC, they think they're going to do well in the future, then the share price of AFIC will rise faster than the value of those underlying shares. Yes. So it adds a little bit of complexity. They tend to be active. Yes. That is, they actively choose their shares, so they don't just hold the whole index. And because of this ability to move differently to the value of the shares, uh, which is called a premium or discount, um, it t- takes a bit of more analysis. To solve that problem, um, there was a structure called an exchange-traded fund invented, and it yeah. meets, manages this demand-supply equation by creating or destroying units. So you can, there's always the same number of buyers and sellers, right? which means that they will always trade at the value of the underlying shares, which makes them simpler and easier. And generally... Exchange-traded funds tend to follow an index. There aren't very many actively managed 
ETFs. And that's because you part of managing this um, discount premium to the underlying shares is the ability to exchange the basket for units. Yes. So they have to publish what the basket is. And if you're trying to be an active manager, you don't really want everyone knowing what you're doing. So Does that make the ETFs less volatile? Uh, they should be precisely as volatile as the underlying index. Right. So, for example, the biggest investment, the biggest indexed investment company in the world is probably Vanguard. It is. Okay. And its founder, Jack Bogle, died he just a week re- ago. Very recently, yeah. Did he? Yeah. At yeah. 86, I think. Um, now, Vanguard, they're indexed fund managers. So, you can buy... So, your super, you might be able to buy a managed fund, which is all Vanguard. You could, yep. So, the Australian share portion is the Vanguard Australian Index. The international portion is the international index and so on, all wrapped up into the one fund. Yep. Sun Super is a good example. Yes. Or what you can do, you can actually, Vanguard have what they call an exchange traded fund, as Vince just said, an ETF which is just Australian shares. So, this, and I'm not telling you to buy it, just as research. If you typed in Vanguard ETF VAS, uh, that's the share code on the ASX, that's the exchange-traded fund or ETF that Vanguard has just of Australian shares. It tracks the ASX 300, the yes. top 300 shares. And the top 10, I'll read them out so you just know, CBA, BHP, Westpac, CSL, ANZ, National Australia Bank, Woolworths, West Farmers, Macquarie, and Telstra. So the top 10 in Vanguard, VAS, is all the household names. So if in, you, in proportion to their, their weighting their on weighting. the market. So, for example, if you wanted a very, very low-cost entry point and you just wanted to buy Australian shares and you had $10,000 and I just want to buy Australian shares, you could set up an account with eTrade or Comsec pay $40 brokerage and invest $10,000 in VAS, which is the Vanguard Exchange Traded Fund, and you would have access to all the investments that um, tracks the ASX 200, essentially. ASX 300. 300, sorry. Or you could buy IOZ, which is the iShares equivalent, which tracks the ASX 200. Or if you want to get a bit racier, uh, (laughs) there's a thing called QOZ, Wow. Which tracks the a different index called the FTSE, which is the Financial Times Stock Exchange yes. uh, Index, which is it's sort of an actively managed index. Right. And, Sounds um, confusing. Which is a bit confusing. But it has actually outperformed the SX200 over one, three, and five years. Sure. And it's a passive fund. Yeah. It's just a, an index that they've constructed. Yeah. So, for example, if you wanted to buy... And this is, again, we've got to stress, we're not telling you to do this. We're just using these as practical working examples. Get financial advice. Listen to the disclaimer at the end of this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And if you do want some legitimate financial advice, just... um, Just go to (laughs) www.lifesherpa.com.au. Go to Lifesherpa. Vince will help you. If, for example, you had $10,000 and I want a low cost, so I think the fee for these Vanguard ETFs are like 04 that's 0.4% a year. So if you yes. have a $1,000, your annual fee will be $40. $40, which is nothing. Terrible amount, isn't it? Yeah. So it's so cheap. So, for example, if you- Which if is you, less than the brokerage of buying two different shares and yeah. you just bought 300 Exactly. So 
if you wanted a low-cost way in and you're like, oh, I, I want my foot in the water. I want to buy some shares. I don't need the money, so I'll reinvest the dividends. But I want exposure to America as well as Australia, for example. What you could do, you could throw, if you had $10,000, you could throw $5,000 in to VAS, which is the Australian ASX 300 index, Vanguard. And then you could throw, and if you Google VGS, uh, which is the Vanguard International Index, you could throw $5,000 in that via the Australian Stock Exchange and have access to the international market. And the top 10 holdings in VGS is, and these are the big names, Apple, Microsoft, Alphabet, Amazon, Johnson & Johnson, JP Morgan, Facebook, Exxon, Berkshire Hathaway, and Pfizer. So if you want exposure to Australian shares or international shares for cheap, you could potentially buy an ETF, which is an exchange-traded fund. But again, you'd have to log into Comsec or E-Trade, create an account, give them your ID, move the money into their bank account, log on and say, I want 20 shares or however much that, because you don't buy with dollars per se, the online software might allow you to do it, but you would essentially buy X amount of shares But the downside to that is you will get paperwork in the mail, okay? The bigger and more complex your investing gets, the more paperwork you will get. And that's why if you start to get a significant amount, maybe it is worth moving to a platform, as we talked about before, where, see, I don't do any investing through Comsec or E-Trade. It's all on platform because I don't need the mess. But I pay a fee for that, right? Um so, and if you're investing yeah, $100,000 or more, that fee starts to look like a bargain. Absolutely. So, but and particularly if you're talking about Vanguard funds, so the Australian one, which mm, was vast, VAS, um, yeah. it pays quarterly distributions. Yeah. So you're going to get four statements a year. Yeah. And you know, it won't take too long before your accountant's going to want to have a um, an increase in his fee. So yes. for a big pile, uh the platform piece will pay for itself. Yeah. But starting out, um, you know, mm. direct or through a uh, a service like Raise or Stockspot will mm. yeah, make life but so much I easier. I would just, if you can learn anything from today, number one, you're not investing one cent if you've still got consumer debt. That's number one. You're half nodding. <laughs> <laughs> I'm half nodding because I would take your car loan out of that equation. But sure, if you've sure. got credit cards... Yeah, credit, um, let's just call it credit yeah, cards. credit cards or uh, interest-free credit, Harvey Norman, you should not be yeah. investing. Actually, very interesting. If you go to... I've got another little podcast called The Sort Your Money Out Show. Um, so just search Glenn James, Sort Your Money Out. There's a an interview with a doctor, like professor, from a New York university I did with... Her name's Barbara O'Malley. She reckons invest through paying off debt regardless because of the opportunity cost. Yeah. I mean, I, I buy the opportunity cost argument, but, but I, tw- I would 22, probably 22% say, interest rate on a credit card is yeah, a lot of opportunity yeah, cost. that's right. Um, and, and it's it pretty depends. hard to be- I, I would probably say, like, if you've got a 50 grand personal loan from some idiot mistake that you made a million years ago and it's going to take you 10 years to pay and, off. And there's a, fun, a furry animal on the TV ads. Yeah. Um, yeah, if, if, you've, if you haven't fixed the fundamental problems with your cash flow in your life, then yeah, you're no, wasting your time. Yeah, you've got yeah. to get over that first. But again, get some advice. Yeah. Um, but the key to it is get started. Get started. And the first yeah. step in getting started is spend less than you earn. Yes. <laughs> yeah. The second step is pay for debts. Yes. So... 
if you did want that, that's a good way to go. But on that getting started, I mean, you, you mentioned getting international exposure. Never quite understood why financial people talk about exposure. That never sounds like a good thing to me, but no. it's the ability to yourself. get the benefit yeah. of investing. Um, but investment people use that term, um, and I've caught myself using it occasionally. Yeah. Um, it's a question, well, what do you want to invest or what should you invest in to achieve the goal? Yeah. And obviously investing all of it in Australia is not the right answer. Yeah. Um, and then if you are going to invest in Australia, which is probably going to be a large chunk of it, is, well, what what do you want to invest in? Do you want to invest in the top 20 shares, which is about half banks, yeah. or the top 200, which is about I, a third There's banks. a few um, funds getting out there now which are ex-top 20, yeah. which I think I find a bit sexy, to yeah, be honest. Yeah, iShares have a, an ex-top 200. I can't remember what it's called. Mm. Um, but obviously, we're now getting a bit more sophisticated. Yeah. So, But if you're starting with yeah, five grand, I would use a, a micro-investing service. Yeah. If you've got 10 to 20, um, start thinking about a few funds. Yeah. And if you've got 50 or more... See an advisor and get a platform. Yeah, yeah. It's also the um, the other part of following your values and beliefs in life, isn't it? And and maybe looking at investing in something you're passionate about in in your life, whether that's a company that that operates in the same values that you have. Yeah, I mean that's my big thing about the the few companies I own are companies I have a particular affinity or yeah. view on. But are you hanging your hat on that like if you had 100 grand to invest and you believe in cba because they're just doing the best thing out there and blah 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 would you invest 100 grand in cba i would say this is what i say to clients i say anything specky or speculative like or the cba yeah like <laughs> anything that's kind of out there or a personal interest don't do more than 10% of your net worth. That's yeah, probably right. I don't think it's a massive yeah. whole portfolio type story. And it's usually not a, a bank that they're passionate about. But Yeah, yeah like I shared the, cl- the story of a client. Um, they called me and said, oh, we want to buy 60 grand in pink diamonds. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking of, you know, the, the movie with the big yep. wad of diamonds. But yeah. literally like two small diamonds. Mm. And 60 grand, that's a lot of money to tie up. But they're worth a lot of money, like the couple. So I said, look. I think it's fine as long as you don't do more than 10% um, of your net worth in that little pet project. Yeah. Um, yeah, and whether what you know is actually the thing that's going to drive the price, you just need to handle there. I'm 35-year-old Vince um, invested $100,000 in Macquarie Bank before it listed wow. at $3.50 a share. Yeah. Hugely imprudent. If someone came into me saying, I want to do this, I'd yeah, be counselling them. them against doing this. Mm. This is when, you know, I was, that was a year's pay, yeah. gross. Yeah. And um, it turned out fantastic. They peaked at about $95 before the GFC. The GFC. Yeah. And then they were back, I think they're back at $100, aren't they? Um, <sighs> I, sold, sure. I sold out on, on, at about $70. Yeah. Um, but nonetheless, $3.50 to $70 in eight years. Is, and you still had the 100 grand. I did. Plus all the extra ones like cumulative away. There you go. If you want to get a calculator out, <laughs> and you can the other, see how much Vince is worth. And the other point, though, is about <laughs> diversification. That's why Vince is, Vince is always on the central coast. He doesn't have to work this place. <laughs> <So. laughs> but that, that was, that was uh, pre-GFC and um, pre-divorce and yeah. <laughs> uh, pre, pre-10 years of building businesses. Yeah. Um, but setting that aside, the other, I guess, lesson I've learned over that period is late 80s, um, 
most people will rem- well most people won't remember but 1987 was the biggest crash before the GFC right and um, Black Monday I have a, I think shares fell you know 40 percent before recovering um, and I was you know a young buck heavily borrowed uh, in margin loans before they were regulated so they were mm. pretty draconian and you know that day I was wiped out but I had a huge chunk invested in Japan. Wow. Which is what saved my ass because Japan didn't collapse for two years. So that taught me the benefits of diversification. Yeah, wow. I- international or just diversification in general? Both. Yeah. 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 So if some is good, more is generally better. Mm. Yeah, what we're going to do, we're going to end the episode here because uh, we've covered a lot of ground. And by all means, I think you would learn a lot even if you re-listen to this episode again because there's a lot of information or perhaps even if you've got any questions following this episode specifically email it to us and we might do a rinse and repeat of this in a, a you know six weeks or something um get vince back up or we might do well, actually john we'll go down and take the portable gear and <laughs> yeah. we'll come down and because i think there's you know we've pretty much tried to give you know 20 30 years of <laughs> you know fundamental information in a very short amount of time but and i'll just swing back around and say if there's one thing you get out of this before i went on my (laughs) personal loan consumer debt rant was to have the end in mind before you start like anything isn't it yeah yeah i want to save for a house realistically i'm not saving 50 grand in the next two years so i need to put that in shares because i know that you know over an average 7% return is better than the 2% return. And it's in shares, it's invested, I'm not going to get my dirty mitts on it, okay? So have the end in mind. Even if it's, a, hey, we want to do a big family holiday when the kids are six years old and that's six years away, you might want to start and do an investing portfolio. There's strategies along the way. If um, you're two years out from the end of the goal, you might decide just to then stop investing for the last two years and just keep saving cash. Million strategies. Uh, but if you've got probably over what ten or twenty grand, you probably should, it'd probably be worth paying an advisor just to sit down with and yep, or even whatnot. Just a, yeah, a one-off plan. Once-off plan. You don't have to pay them four hundred dollars a month or anything ridiculous like that. Just literally go and pay for some good advice to set up the structure and the foundations. Uh, we will end it there. Let's continue the uh, conversation in the Facebook group, and you can catch Vince uh, lifesherpa.com.au. And on Instagram, my life Sherpa. My life Sherpa, and you can catch John wherever down the street. All right, catch him around. Remember, we hang out on Insta at My Millennial Money. If you're a regular listener, you're welcome to join our Facebook group. If you want more money hacks, be sure to subscribe to My Millennial Money Express. It's short money hacks anywhere, anytime, right into your ears. Any advice in this podcast is of a general nature only and has not been tailored to your personal circumstances. Please seek personal advice prior to acting on this information. Before making a decision to acquire a financial product, you should obtain and read the product disclosure statement relating to that product. Opinions constitute our judgment at the time of issue and are subject to change. Neither the licensee, any of the National Australia Group of Companies, nor their employees or directors give any warranty of accuracy nor accept any responsibility for errors or omissions in this podcast. Glenn James, Urban Ghetto Project Limited, trading as Sort Your Money Out, are authorised representatives of Apogee Financial Planning Limited, AFSL 230689.
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.